welcome to episode nine of Lessons and Lattes. Really, really excited to talk with Monice today. She's a special education teacher. I'm going to let her um, kind of jump in and talk a little bit about herself because she's doing some great things out there. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, like Megan said, my name is Monique. I'm a special education teacher in Metro Atlanta. I currently teach um, sixth grade math and science in a resource setting which means the instruction I deliver to my students is in a small classroom setting. Uh, I've been in education for a number of years. However, I did take a small break to homeschool my kids. And I came back to education about three years ago. And so now I'm basically jumped back in, uh, only to find out that not much has changed in special education. It's like, I, it's like one of those movies where everything freezes, and then the person like wakes up from the coma and everything's the same, which is not really good. But um, as I say on my blog, my, my tagline is I'm, I'm rested and I'm more determined than ever to get back here and hopefully um, make some changes, even if on a small scale, in the hopes of just making sure the kids that I teach have what they need to be successful and move to the next level. I know that we can all tell some horror stories, but I really love the positive spin that you put on things. And I think one of your um, jobs or roles or hats that you like to wear is IEP consultant. And I really love that term. Um, can you tell us a little more about what you're aiming to accomplish with that and what you're currently doing? Oh, absolutely. And it's quite interesting because I did this um, like consulting thing years ago as a volunteer, but it's funny because people reached out to me then because they saw what I was putting on social media. So I never really, at that point, I never really thought about doing it as, you know, like a, kind of like a, a side job or whatever you want to call it. It was just something that I felt needed to be done because the IEP, the document itself, is such an important document, but at the same time, it's such a contentious um, process between the school, I'll just say the school, including everybody who works for the school system who's a part of that IEP team, and the parents, and it really doesn't have to be contentious. Um, and I, I want parents to go into those meetings very knowledgeable. I want them to know what they should be looking for in an IEP. I want them to know the questions they should ask in an IEP meeting. I want them to know what they should see from their child as the school year progresses. But um, more importantly, I want the parents to hold the school, myself included, accountable. And so that's why I'm so meticulous about dotting my eyes and crossing my T's because if I'm saying to the parents, this is what you need to be asking for, I need to make sure that I'm doing that too. So a few of my girlfriends have been telling me, you know, you need to do this um, as part of your job. And it's a little complicated because I'm in a state that doesn't have a union. So I kind of have to be careful about what I do and how I do it. And I don't um, promote what I do to the parents of my students. My promotion is basically outside of work hours and through my social media um, accounts. However, I do have these conversations 
with parents, oftentimes the conversations are through a translator because the majority of my students have parents who speak Spanish only or have, they have very little limited English speaking ability, which makes it even more pressing that I find a way to get this information to parents because I know with a lot of parents, um, Hispanic parents, they really um, they really believe that sending their kids to school is such an amazing privilege. I don't want to discount education, right. however. They, I felt like, you know, they call it, not to talk over, no, I'm so sorry, not to talk over you or anything, but I was kind of thinking of that as you were saying that, and how I felt like they held me on this, like, pedestal almost, like, the maestra, like, very, um, with regard and, you know, like, you know what's best, like, you're gonna, you know, do all this stuff for my kid, and I just, I almost felt like I couldn't live up to all the, uh, that pedestal, like, um, thing that they had when they were talking about, um, the maestra and like, you know, telling the student, like, you need to have respect for her. You need to do this. You need to do that. And it was amazing to me because I'm like, I want you to speak out. But yeah. it's kind of like they have such a regard and respect that they don't, it's almost like it prohibits them then from asking questions or um, I think asking questions. And I kind of think like the analogy I can kind of think of is maybe like doctors as well, right? we hold our doctors almost on this high pedestal. They know what's best. They're going to do what's right kind of thing. Um, and I know a lot of people don't question doctors. So I kind of see it as kind of the same <laughs> when we really should be questioning and asking questions, those prescriptions, you know, those types of things. But especially in the IEP process, uh, parents really, I think, especially with the language barrier or another factor, I think they're almost afraid to ask questions or inquire. Yes, yes, and you know what? Their kids are too, in terms of being in class. And here's what I don't want to happen, even though it's happened a couple times last year. I don't want to get a kid who has not been getting the necessary support and services because their parents trusted the process so much and never asked questions. So I always tell parents, you're just as important in this process as I am. And if there's anything you don't understand or if at any point you want there to be more provided for your child, you are well within your rights to ask questions and to call for another meeting. And I tell the students too, you know, I talk to some kids, I'm like, okay, so how is this, does this help you? Do you want to try something else? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to tell me what's working for you and what's not working for you because I may always know and if you don't ask questions of me or you don't speak up when something is not clear, then I won't know. And I think that's the most important thing that as teachers we can teach our students is to advocate for themselves mm -hmm. and let them know that it's not a sign of disrespect. It's just uh, a way to safeguard yourself and to make sure that you get everything you need. And I also want to add, like, onto that, it, you know, asking for help, advocating for yourself. It's also not a sign of failure either. Um, I think a lot of kids sometimes feel either ashamed, failed, 
like they failed um, some type of negative emotion when they speak out. And I really, really, really want to encourage teachers as well as parents to kind of build that up. Like you're advocating for yourself, like no one's going to know best but you. And that that's a super positive thing. Um, I love it when my kids can say, you know, Miss Kay, I think I'm using my cell phone just a little too much in class, but I need help putting it away or something like that. And just kind of that shows growth to me and even ownership of their learning. Oh, absolutely. I had some kids last year. One of my students, I love him. He would kind of like whisper to me because I was in a cold time setting. I'm not going to get to go to the small group to take my test because I'm going to need more time. And I just, I just want to make sure I have it. Oh, I'm like, oh, yes, always. And I know for some kids, being pulled out for testing has kind of had like a stigma to it. But I always told the kids in front of their parents at the IP meeting, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, You need a smaller setting with fewer distractions. You need extra time. You don't need to be interrupted by... You know, things that are out of my control, like people coming in and out of the classroom while we're testing, or people making unnecessary noises while we're testing, because you're entitled to your uninterrupted small group setting for testing, and and you're going to get that because it's going to benefit you. And I said, believe it or not, there are other kids in that classroom who could benefit from that, too. But, you know, the way it's set up, they just don't get it. Right. You know, they don't scope the combination. I joke around and say, you know, everyone should be on an IEP because I truly believe that people learn differently and individually um, and uniquely. And, you know, sometimes I know with math, I really like when being forced into that time setting, you know, I get anxious and I might make careless mistakes that, you know, I might not if I had more time per se. Um, but English, I'm, you know, I write things out and I'm fine. So I think it's just, you know, I, I think the whole system needs a little bit of revamping, but definitely um, even just the acknowledgement of accommodations for our kids with special needs. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I try to tell co-teachers that if you would just consider what we do for our students, Mm-hmm. and think about it and just do it for all the students, it would make a tremendous a tremendous difference. But there's such a stigma with special education that some people see it as kind of like a crutch or sometimes not necessary. But then you can either you can either help the kids on the front end or you can spend time reteaching concepts because your student didn't get it the way you taught it. Right. And I think, you know, we want them to get it, like, not the first time necessarily, but we want to have structures and supports in place for our students to not have to go through the process of, you know, having to be retaught something, because I think that kind of adds to the stigma and shame as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know my high schoolers, uh, you know, they also, they see it, they feel it. And I know you teach middle school, so I'm sure they're a little more aware of things. But, you know, they'll even tell me, I don't want to go to the dumb kids room. I mean, keep in mind, I have a self-contained class, but there's other classrooms that they've labeled as the dumb room or, you know, places. And it's, it's hard to be in that situation because you don't want to say, you don't, 
you want to help them learn how to eradicate the stigmas and not label it. But then, you know, and then, but you want to know what they're thinking at the same time. But, uh, and we also need to remember, I think I'm reading one of your posts right now. I, you said each child has a right to receive educations in the setting that is most beneficial to the child. And I think as adults, as people in the community, as even other, even with other kids, we need to be careful of how we're labeling rooms, what we're saying, um, our body language, because we want all rooms to feel like the general education rooms. And I think that's so funny because I was just gonna say I think that's so important. Um, especially as kids get older, so that they can continue to get the accommodations and modifications and supports, but also be accepted by their peers. Yeah. Um at our school we have to on Thursdays we have to plan with our grade level and content. So this past Thursday. Uh, I went to the science planning, and so the science, I don't know, department chair for sixth grade, I guess, whatever. She's walking around and asking everyone what, what they did in their classroom, so she gets to me, so what'd you do with your students? Now, you know, you're in special ed, you know what that, what that phrase means, right? Right. <laughs> so, I just looked at her, and I smiled, and I said, oh, I taught science. I mean, the same thing you do. You teach science, right? That's what I did with my students, too. I taught science. So my my focus this year is not to argue with people, but my focus is to respond to them in such a way that they understand that how they're phrasing things regarding my student is um, offensive and unprofessional. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher. That's, that's my title. I'm a teacher. You might teach science. I happen to teach science and math in a smaller setting. I'm still a teacher. So I'm not teaching any content that's different from what you're teaching. That's any different from what the state or district says I have to teach. However, the way I present my information is different. That's the only thing that's different. I'm still teaching science. My kids still have to test on science. They're still going to take the district benchmarks on science. And they're still going to take the state assessments over math, ELA, and reading. So I'm not doing anything different. So stop stop with the framing that what I'm doing is different or less than what you're doing because it's not. Right. And I think that's huge. Um, one for our colleagues to hear, but I think even more importantly for the students to see and feel. I know last year I taught chemistry and I loved it. Um, it was a little bit of a stretch. I will have to admit that, but... One of the biggest disappointments for me was my student, my students in the self-contained science room were not allowed access to the science lab. And I was told it was it was because they were sped. And that just it, I fought all year tooth and nail. I mean, we're talking sending pictures of the labs I was doing in my classroom to admin um, going to board meetings, really, truly fighting because I truly, well, one, I believe that science should not be a self-contained classroom. Um, I believe that students 
will have a more a richer experience in the science classroom with people that are passionate and love science. But um, two, just having that lab opportunity is so crucial. Um, and that's one thing that I really do remember about my high school science class was were the labs. And it just broke my heart that they weren't going to have lab access. Um, despite all my efforts, despite all my conversations, the labs that they got were the labs in my classroom, but they never got to go into the lab. Oh, wow. That's bad. And, it, you know, IDEA, I think, says that they're supposed to have instruction um, at the same level of their peers. And it just, you know, despite even asking other teachers, hey, can I bring my class in when you're having a lab? You know, I have my para myself extra hands, you know, for the extra bodies. And it was, I was just met with like a stone wall and it just was so disappointing. I'm so sorry to hear that because it's 2019 and we should not still be separating our students simply because they have a disability, because IDEA is very clear on that. Right. Um, and, you know, it amazes me that People are even rising through the ranks and becoming assistant principals and principals when they have very little knowledge or concern about special education. Because when the master schedule was made, it should have been made so that your students would have time to participate in the labs like every other student taking those classes. Right. And it shouldn't have been a fight. It, it should have been a non-issue. And it was just, you know, and that was definitely not in the best interest of any of my students. I had a lot of um, boys that were really responding to the hands-on learning. And it was very clear that they were dumped there because they had an IEP and because they've had either a behavior issue in the past or had trouble focusing. So it became a dumping ground and not not individualized education anymore. And I know you've had the opposite kind of experience where you've seen people struggling in co-teaching environments because of the push for inclusion. Um, but like there, I think you said their evaluation stated that they shouldn't be, that they should be more in, the, more, um, in special classes, right? Is that what I understood from your blog or the post? It depends, so that's the thing. Um, a lot of districts are going for inclusion, but not not because they're concerned about what's best for the child. They're trying to figure out how to cut back on money because <laughs> the budgets are being cut, and that's what teacher, they're cutting. <laughs> yeah. As a resource teacher, I'm only teaching kids with IEPs in the small group. I'm not teaching any other kids, but if I'm a co-teacher. I'm in a classroom with another teacher, and guess what? You can add more bodies to that classroom because you have two teachers in there. So if a kid is functioning on a first grade level, let's just say first grade level, they are not going to be successful in a co-taught classroom. They probably are not going to be successful in a resource classroom because in resource, we still have to teach the sixth grade or whatever grade you are teaching curriculum. That child needs to be in an environment that is going to work with them on their current level and help them make some gains towards, not necessarily staying at the end of the 
here you're going to be on the sixth grade level, but if you're on the first grade level, hey, my goal is to try to get you to a third grade level by the end of the school year. Because that's growth. I mean, to some people, it may not be a while growth, but from a first grade to a third grade level, that's growth. Right. And I can't do that for a kid in a co-taught setting because, number one, chances are I'm not even going to deliver instruction in a co-taught setting. Most of the times, a general ed teacher wants to have complete control over delivering that content because they feel, in fact, their area of certification, that they're the expert in that area. So my role is typically limited to being a support in that classroom, and not just for kids with an IEP, because when I'm taught in a co-teaching setting, I help everybody. And oftentimes, the kids without IEPs need more help than the kids with IEPs. Right. So, a kid reading on a first grade level or performing math on a first grade level is not going to be successful in a co-taught classroom. And that's not me being me. That's me being a special education teacher. And that's me saying, hey, we need to do what's best for this kid. But like I said, there's this huge push for inclusion, mm-hmm. even for kids who are not academically ready um, for those kind of settings. And it's not fair to them. It's not fair at all. And that kind of loops back then to empowering the parents to know what questions to ask, where, um, what words to use, and kind of just really being their child's advocate. Because as we know, usually the parents have a little more push than we do, unfortunately. Um, but that's the truth. Um, parents do have a little bit of a louder voice. Yeah. So, and... And, and one of the questions that parents do ask at these IEP meetings in terms of whether the child, child is doing well or not is if they, if they open the door and say, well, what else can we do? That's my opportunity to say either, either we got to get some extra tutoring or we have to reconsider your child's placement in whichever class they're struggling mm-hmm. in the most if they're using math or ELA. Um, and again, anything I do is just a suggestion because the ultimate decision is in lies with the parent. But this push for inclusion that the schools are doing, you know, sometimes they just say, oh, well, you're talking about have two teachers in the classroom, so they'll be okay. And in reality, they're not okay. Right. Just because you have two teachers in there doesn't mean the child is going to be okay. And not to play devil's advocate here or whatever, but sometimes we really need to look at what inclusion in that school site actually is. Um, Because a lot of times I'm just being real. It's not even two teachers. It could be a teacher and a para. It could be um, that combination. That's not what inclusion truly looks like or the idea behind it. Absolutely. That's, that's what I was alluding to earlier when I said uh, I've been in co-taught settings where I was just the support. I didn't teach. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that happens a lot because I have a lot of people, special ed teachers, reaching out to me saying, yep, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Uh, I've been told by the book I've been told by the general ed teacher that I'm not going to teach because I don't know the content. Um, and that's all that responsibility falls on the school and district leadership because if you're really serious about the learning outcomes for our students, then you have to take those things into consideration. You can't just say, oh yeah, we have co-teaching. 
and they're going to get instruction to teachers when you're not making it mandatory for number one training on what co-teaching is supposed to look like right. mandatory training on IDEA and what it means especially with regard to um, the accommodations being followed and implemented uh, number three people have to be held accountable we need a system of checks and balances yes we do no I don't mean you yeah, I don't mean you have to be in the classroom every single day, but you need to do some surprise visits for your co-teaching classroom. Don't tell anybody you're coming. Right. Just come. You know what you're supposed to look for, right? If you don't see it, guess what? Then you're going to do some additional professional development with the teachers who are not doing what they're supposed to do. And then you need to ask them. So when I came into your classroom, why were you talking during the whole period and your special education teacher was basically just walking around the classroom? Or... Parents need to ask their kids, which teacher does the most teaching in your classroom? Right. Because they'll tell you, because I've tutored kids who told me, and I said, oh, that's a special education teacher mm-hmm. who, who's not doing any teaching, but is providing the additional assistance even to a kid who doesn't have an IEP. I don't have a problem with that, but the problem is that I tell people all the time, we're certified educators too. We have to go through the same teacher programs or teacher certification programs that you have to go through. We take the same assessment. But we are knowledgeable. Sometimes we have to be knowledgeable for two, three, or four subjects, and you only have to be knowledgeable for one. Right. So tell me who's investing the most in making sure they're good at what they do. Right. I know we're wrapping up. It's yeah, it is. I, we're wrapping up on the thirty-minute mark, and I'm reading the end of your blog, which um, listeners can find at www.moniseward.com. Um, very powerful stuff out there, guys. I highly encourage you to check it out. But you state that something must change and fast, and then um, the last line is, "I hate what's become of special education, but I have accepted that things will not change." I'm um, speaking on the component of something must change and fast for our special education teachers out there that are in a position where they can maybe initiate change, start to have conversations. Are there any um, parting words of wisdom you would like to share? I would have to say first, you have to form a good relationship with the parent. It's absolutely paramount. And even if you have to do it through a translator, do it. because if you if you are limited to what you can do in your school, once you arm your parents with that information, guess what? All you have to worry about is teaching. Because if the parents know what their child is supposed to get and they know which questions to ask, they cannot ignore parents. They can ignore us, but they can't ignore parents. Parents have the, the power to make people listen. So if you are committed to doing this work and you are committed to doing what's right by your students, then you have to form a relationship with the parents. And it's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month, but over the course of the school year. And then when you see things that you feel um, need to change in the best interest of your student, just tell the parents. And tell the parents, we need to schedule another IEP meeting, which they can do at any time during the school year. But also tell the parents to request that everybody's there. Right. And that's the IEP team in terms of teachers, but get an administrator there too. Yes. <laughs> so I want to thank you for um, advocating, being um, part of it. It sounds like, you know, you have an amazing love for what you do. 
Um, I know that we can all feel defeated at times. And I just want to thank you for doing what you do. I want to thank you for being that consultant and advocate and also for being an inspiration to me as well. Um, I know that I've really resonated with some of your writing and some of your posts. So thank you for continuing to put that stuff out there for everybody. I'm excited too. I think that, you know, through community, through network, through connections, that we can start to change a system that has been stuck in the 1970s for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. So, I am more than happy to have you back on at any time. Thanks for being here tonight. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. All right, guys. Thanks for a great conversation, Miss Moniz. I really appreciated you being on with us tonight. Again, really important to empower your parents. Um, build relationship, have conversations early and often. So now for the latte part, I am giving you guys a sweet coffee drink with an extra kick in your java. The name of this drink is the Chocolate Coffee Kiss, makeable at home um, with one cup hot fruit coffee, two tablespoons whipped cream, one and one half fluid ounces chocolate syrup and a maraschino cherry if you like that. So in a coffee mug, you are going to combine your coffee and your syrup and top with a dollop of whipped cream, drizzle, drizzle with chocolate syrup and garnished simply with the cherry. Enjoy and thank you for listening tonight.